Ephesians 6, 5-9, hear the word of the Lord. Bondservants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. Let's pray. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. One common criticism of the Bible in general and of the New Testament in particular is, you will hear this sometimes, well, it doesn't condemn slavery. It doesn't condemn slavery. And some people go so far as to say, by regulating slavery in different ways, it actually upholds slavery. Well, I don't want to get into a uh, an entire discussion about this complicated question, but it's not as simple as that, because if you read through the thousands of years of history, Old Testament and New Testament, there are different kinds of slavery. So it's not fair just to talk about slavery and spe- specifically to import American slavery into that idea necessarily. Um, also, this criticism assumes the existence of modern economic and political structures that led to the abolishment of slavery in the West. I should say legal slavery in the West. And so when people hold up the Old Testament or the New Testament and say, why didn't they do this? Well, because it was impossible in their day. Why didn't they write to their congressman? Why didn't they, why didn't they vote in such a way or that? These, these are, these are political structures that didn't exist and also economic structures that didn't exist in those days. Uh, in addition, this criticism also is selective. It's selective because if you read through the New Testament, you will find that it didn't denounce the brutality of Roman imperialism. It didn't denounce the, the gladi- gladiatorial games in the arena. It didn't specifically denounce the common practice of exposing unwanted infants. It didn't denounce a whole host of uh, social ills of that day. And uh, the reason for that is because the basic error of this criticism is a misunderstanding of what the church is about. It assumes, it assumes that the church's job is to reform society directly. Forgetting that the church's unique role in the world is to make disciples of Jesus Christ, and then those disciples of Jesus Christ go out into the world and transform society. And that's actually what has happened, historically speaking, with many of these social ills. It wasn't that the church directly addressed these, but that Christians, having been discipled by the church, went out into the world and as subjects or citizens in the world, they addressed themselves to these evils. And it's it's satisfying today uh, that although legal slavery has been abolished in, I think, every place that I know of, there's still many slaves around the world. Some estimates say between 20 and 40 million people in slavery around the world. And the largest organization that is attacking that social ill was founded by and is run by Christians. So that's the way it's, it works, uh, the way, the, way the, 
the church is set up to make disciples, and those disciples go out and tra- and transform the world. Now, uh, this section addresses slavery, and it's one of the three relationships here, and it's the only one of the three relationships that is abolishable. So we've seen two relationships that are creation ordinances, husband and wife. That's what marriage is, the, the, the union of uh, one man and one woman. That's, that's given to us in creation. And that is not changeable. It is, it is permanent as long as this world shall last. Children and parents, that's not a relationship that can be changed. It is, it is a structure that God has, has hardwired into this world. So these are two relationships that are given to us from creation. It is not given to us to change these or adapt these as much as society may decide to do so. These are permanent. This third relationship existed in Paul's day and was a typical part of the Roman household, but it is not a permanent relationship, this slavery and lord or master relationship. So this is the only one that can be abolished and in our day has been abolished legally. Now, you might say, so why are we looking at this text? Why are we looking at this text if it has to do with an institution that no longer legally exists among us? What what benefit can it have for us? And I would propose that even though it addresses this institution that happily in our day no longer exists legally, this text is valuable because of these three relationships, perhaps none of them, none of them demonstrates the radical nature of Christian commitment to Jesus Christ above all more than the instruction that we have here to what are called bond servants, we can translate that slaves and masters. It's the word for Lord. Uh, it's uh, it, this word here is translated variously, Lord and Master. When it refers to Jesus, it's called Lord. When it refers to the earthly masters, it's called masters. But it's the same word here. And so there is there is of these three relationships, this is the one that pushes into our face the most strongly the identity of Christians as devoted to Jesus Christ above all and the resulting contentment we may have in our calling in this life to serve Jesus Christ with joy no matter what our station might be. So that's where we're going. So we look at the the instructions. And the first thing that should stand out to you here, the instructions to bond servants or to slaves, verses 5 to 8, then the verse, uh, verse 9, the instruction to lords or masters, the first thing that should stand out to you here is the fact that the slaves are addressed in this letter, which means that they were full members of the church of Jesus Christ. And so the simple fact that these are addressed as full members of the church of Jesus Christ is a radical reorientation of relationships. And this is what we would expect if you look at Galatians chapter 3, verse 26, Paul wrote there, the same author, for in Christ Jesus, you all are sons of God through faith. For as many as you who were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So this is this is a radical reorientation of relationships among humans. These divisions that had lasted for generation after generation and the competition that was involved in, they're abolished in the church. 
Now, of course, there are still men and women in the church. There are still those who are from Jewish backgrounds and those who are from non-Jewish backgrounds in the church. Thankfully, we no longer have masters and slaves. In their day, they did. They had slaves and free. But what they're, what they're put on here is the same footing, the same level of privilege. So that's the, that's the first thing we ought to notice here. So far from being a, a conservative document that is, that is protecting this institution of slavery, on the contrary, it is, it is saying that slaves, yes, slaves are sons of God through faith in Christ as much as their masters are. Jews and Gentiles, male and female, the same highest privilege. And none are put on a higher privilege because how much higher could you possibly get than sons of God through faith in Christ? So that's the first thing that we should see. And then we, we, we can note that, that there is some instruction in the New Testament about how to deal with this question of slavery. And I just want to mention this. And that's in 1 Corinthians 7, 1 Corinthians 7, verses 21 to 23. So the New Testament is actually not completely silent on this question. It says here, uh, each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. That's verse 20. Were you a bondservant, a slave when called? Do not be concerned about it. Do not be concerned about it. But then he says, but if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. And I think that's the best translation here. If you can gain your freedom, try to get free. So if you're a slave, don't let it concern you over much. And we'll see why it doesn't need to concern them over much. But he says, but if you can gain your freedom, do it. Then verse 22, for he who was called in the Lord as a bondservant is a freedman of the Lord. Likewise, he who was free when called is a bondservant of Christ. But then he says this, you were bought with a price. Do not become slaves of men. So if you can get free, get free. And don't get into bondage. Don't allow yourself to be to be enslaved. Try to avoid that because you've been bought with a price. So there is there is some instruction about this. But what this uh, what this addresses here in Ephesians is what if you can't get free? What what if you're trapped? What if you're stuck in this institution and and there is no way to get free at least in the short term? What do you do? What do you do? Well, Paul gives instructions for that. And what he says here is that slaves should obey their earthly masters, as it's translated here. Literally, lords according to the flesh. Lords according to the flesh. Now, that's interesting that he calls them lords according to the flesh, carnal lords, because you might ask, well, what other kind of lord is there? And that's the whole idea. So indirectly, he's saying, these are merely lords, what? According to the flesh. These are carnal. These are earthly lords. And this is really the beginning of a major emphasis of this section, that they are merely carnal lords, that they are merely earthly lords, and you should obey them if you are in this situation and you can't get out of it. But there's an indirect reference here to another kind of lord whom we will soon meet in this text. And then he gives instructions, six different instructions, about the obedience. If you look at verse, uh, verse, uh, let's see, verse six, no, verse five, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling. That's the first thing. And the question is fear and trembling before whom? It's not fear and trembling before your earthly Lord. He, he's, he's raising the, the bar here for the slaves, their sights 
with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ. And this whole section, I, I remind you, this whole section flows out of verses 15 to 21, where he talks about being filled in the Spirit. And then verse 21, submitting to one another out of reverence, or it's the same word, out of fear for Christ. And I, I suggested we translate that awe. So the whole section, wives and husbands, children and parents, slaves and masters, the whole section is set up under the awe of Christ. So do your job, slaves, in fear, in trembling, in awe, not of your earthly masters, but rather of someone else who's now named as you would Christ. So he says they should obey with sincerity in their hearts. They should obey as to Christ. Now, it's not putting the earthly masters in the place of Christ. It's not saying obey your earthly masters as if they were Christ. It's basically doing an end run around those earthly masters. It's saying slaves obey out of sincerity and of heart as to Christ. Let that be your obedient as to Christ, rendering service to him. They should also, and, and it looks like Paul coined the word here. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a nice word, and it's translated very directly here. Verse 6, not by the way of eye service, not by the way of eye slavery. That's the word. So not just when they're looking at you. So don't just do your job when your, your lords are looking at you, these earthly lords. He says, because then you would be a people pleaser. So don't just don't just be a people pleaser serving when you're called or when they're watching you, but rather you should serve as bond servants, as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from the soul. It says the heart here, rendering service with a good will, verse seven, as to the Lord and not to man. Now I want you to notice you might you might look at this and some do and they say, well, this is just terrible because it's saying slaves you know, just do your job, just be obedient slaves. But I want you to notice something, that what he's doing consistently in this section is not exalting these lords according to the flesh, but sidelining them. He's taking them out of the equation here. He's saying, yes, slaves, you need to obey them, but you need to do it as you serve Christ. So he's actually doing an end run around these earthly masters. He's He's denigrating them, putting them in their place, and he is exalting the Lord. In other words, we see once again that he is relating these slaves in the Roman Empire, and by the way, they're different estimates of up to about a third of the people in the Roman Empire would have been slaves, so this would be very, very common, probably a number of people in the church. But he's saying, but I want you to, re I want you to live your life in, in direct relationship to Christ. I want you to live your life in direct relationship to the Lord, because that's your primary identity. And this, uh, this direct relationship is evident in the promise of reward directly from the Lord. Look at verse 8. Knowing, and he says twice in this text, knowing. He wants the, the slaves to know something, and then he wants, in verse 9, he wants the masters to know something. And it turns out it's the same thing, seen from a different angle. Knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a slave or or is free. So what's he saying? This is your orientation. You serve your Lord. Yes, you'll do that for now anyway by, by obeying your master, your earthly master, but, but keep this identity, keep this focus in mind. You are serving the Lord and you have a direct relationship with him and you will receive from him. Regardless of what you receive or don't receive on this planet, you will receive from him uh, what he will give to you. 
and he is not impressed with titles. He is not impressed with bondservant or free, and we will see that in the in the uh, instruction to the masters. Now, uh, here's where we can relate in some measure. Now, I know this is something of a stretch because none of us know the the, the difficulty of being of being slaves, uh, and so it's something of a stretch. But we can relate in some measure here, because all of us at some point in our lives, or perhaps for year after year in our lives, or perhaps for much of our lives, depending on the situations in which we find ourselves, we are in difficult, thankless, underpaid, unfair, underappreciated work. And we can handle that in one of two ways. We can grumble, we can complain, we can cut corners, we can slack off, we can serve and do our job when our boss is is uh, is looking at us and we can become people pleasers or or we can orient all of our work all of our work even the most difficult even the most denigrating even the most unfair even the most underappreciated even the most unthanked work we can orient that that to the lord and use that as our avenue of service to the lord christ and let him take care of the results, the ultimate rewards. So that's the instruction to slaves. And then we have the instruction to lords in verse 9. And here, this is this is shocking what he says to the, the lords. He says, lords, do the same to them. What? Do the same to them. Literally, it says, do the same things to them. Now, if you look at Colossians, which was written, it looks like, at the same time, uh, right around the same time from the same prison cell. Uh, Colossians says it a little more clearly. Um, it says, uh, let me see where that is, Colossians 4.1, it urges lords to treat their slaves justly and fairly, justly and fairly. But it looks like in Ephesians it goes well beyond that because it says, masters, lords, do the same thing for your slaves that I just said the slave should do for you. Now that's hard to, to, to figure out because it, it's certainly not that the, that the masters, the lords, will be obeying their, the orders that their slaves are giving them. So it can't be exactly that. And yet we don't want to tone this down. We want to say that masters should, should treat their slaves in the in reference to their relationship to their Lord Jesus Christ. And so they should enter into this relationship obeying the Lord with fear and trembling, with sincerity of hearts, serving as to Christ, as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from the soul and serving with goodwill as to the Lord and not as to humans. So those same things should should govern the the, the way that the, the lords treat their slaves as the way the slaves respond to their lords. In addition, in addition, in verse nine we have a negative here, a prohibition. Stop your threatening. Stop your threatening. This is the the major tool that slaves have or masters have in their in their toolkit to force their slaves to obey the threat of punishment. And, and Paul just takes that out of their hand and says, stop that. So he takes away this, this major tool that, that masters have used throughout all generations to, to dominate their slaves. So he said, you 
treat your slaves the same way your slaves are to treat you. And by the way, stop threatening. Don't use threats of punishment. And so I want you to see how very radical this is. How very radical this is because both the command to treat your slaves in the same way they are to treat you and this prohibition radically changed the relationship between lords and slaves. And the, the reason is, it's the same reason for both. And it says in verse 8, knowing. In verse 9, knowing. Verse 8, slaves, knowing that whatever good anyone does, that he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. Nine, masters, knowing that he who is both their Lord and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. He is not impressed with the fact that you are uh, Lord according to the flesh. There is no partiality with him. So he says, slaves, remember that and be encouraged because you will receive back from him what he wants to give to you and he will not hold you in lesser esteem because you are a slave. And masters, you need to remember it. You need to remember because he's not impressed with you. He's not impressed that you're called Lord on this earth. And so you need to remember that there's no partiality with him. Now, um, this is the flip side of it. This is the flip side because uh, when we are in a position of authority as Christians, so we will find ourselves throughout our lives in a, in a position of inferiority where we are the ones obeying orders and we will find ourselves at times over other people in our work, in positions of authority over them, and they need to do what we say. They need to obey what we are telling them to do because we have that authority in the, in the structure. And we need, if we find ourselves in those positions, to exercise that authority not as sovereigns, not as all-powerful, but rather as subservient to Christ. So you're in an inferior position, serve as, as, as a servant of Christ. If you're in a superior position, Use that position as a servant of Christ. The message is the same for both. And we have to recognize that there is a tendency for even a little bit of power, a little bit of authority to turn into abuse of others. And, and this happens all the time. Somebody goes up a little bit in the ladder and then all of a sudden they begin throwing their weight around and abusing those that are under them, even though they were just in that position a week ago but they've gotten a little bit of authority and they begin to use those, 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 those levers of power to dominate over other people. For Christians, power over others, authority over others is a responsibility. It is a responsibility. It is a calling to use that responsibility, use that authority for the benefit of others. There's a, a parable that Jesus told. And it's a parable that he tells at the very end of this chapter, Matthew 24, when he's talking about the end of the ages, and he tells a parable. And it's a parable about some people having authority over other people. And it's in Matthew 24, verses 45 and following. He says, Who then is the faithful and wise servant or slave? Who is the faithful and wise slave whom his Lord has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time? Okay, so there is a slave, but this slave is given a little bit of authority over other slaves. Okay, that's the situation. So he is, he is under the Lord, but he is their Lord's, he's their earthly Lord. And so he says, how's he going to deal with this? And he says, blessed is that servant whom his master 
will find so doing when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. So you have a little bit of authority on the earth. Great. Use that authority as the Lord has commanded you to bless those who are under your authority. And guess what you'll get? You'll get more authority. You'll get more authority and says, but if that wicked servant says to himself, my master is delayed and begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour when he does not know and will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You see how important this question of the exercise of authority is? If the Lord has made you a an earthly Lord over anyone, then what's your calling? To do what the Lord has told you to do for the benefit of those under your authority. Now, the most amazing reason, the most amazing reasons for, for serving each other in whatever position we might be, if we find ourselves as earthly lords to serve those over whom we have authority, if we find ourselves under authority to serve those who are in authority over us, the most amazing reason for doing that is because the Lord, the Lord became a slave for us. That, that's how he exercised his authority. There is a most remarkable passage that we go back to rather frequently in Philippians chapter 2, where Paul says, Have this mentality in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave. And being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Do you know who died on crosses in the Roman Empire? Slaves died on crosses in the Roman Empire. This was the lowliest form. So so the Lord of all, he took the form of a slave and he died the death of a slave in the Roman Empire. And then it goes on and says, therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is what? Lord to the glory of God the Father. So that's the career of Jesus. And that's our salvation. The fact that the Lord became a slave and died a slave's death for his people. Therefore, God hyper exalted him to that highest place. And if that's how the Lord, the heavenly Lord, the Lord of all, exercised his authority, then the call is for us to do the same in whatever position we are in in life, to serve one another, realizing that 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 career of service, that pathway of service, that pathway of looking for the lower place to serve others is the pathway to the highest privileges forever. Let's pray. Our God, we we get to texts like this and we're not quite sure what to do with them and we thank you. We thank you for that. We thank you that this is not so directly relevant to us because of the abolition of slavery in in our, our time. But we thank you also that this is a radical reorientation of relationships that we need to understand. And I pray that in our relationships, that 
that we would understand that you are the Lord of all and there's no partiality with you, that you welcome all who come to you through faith in Christ, whether they be Jew or Gentile, male or female or whatever economic position they might have in life. We thank you that that through Christ, through his humiliation, through his exaltation, all may come. And I pray, O oh God, that whether we are in a subservient relationship, position, or whether we're in a uh, relationship of authority over others, that we might distinguish ourselves as devoted to Jesus Christ above all, that we might be known above all as those who are bond slaves of Christ, the one who became a bond slave for us and now is Lord of Lords and King of Kings. And we pray this in his name. Amen.